Welcome to Southern Steep, the public health and social justice podcast brought to you by NASDAQ, a nonprofit, nonpartisan association mission to end the intersecting epidemics of HIV, viral hepatitis, and related conditions. Much like brewing stronger tea, this platform aims to brew a stronger community by centering community leaders' voices and their innovative work in the Southern United States. Hello, everyone. I am Bianca Ward, and I am joined by the amazing, incredible, delightful Justine Ingram. Hey, Justine. Hey. Look, you got me smiling with the introduction. Hey, I'm it's- wonderful, delightful. Tell me, tell me about all black educate. <laughs> Just radiant on today. (laughs) Um, As our newest co-host of Southern Steve, how are things going? Oh, things are going really, really good. Um, I'm actually enjoying this. I feel so official. Like, you know, you can't tell me this is not Red Table Talk for the South and public health. So... (laughs) I love that. This, I think I will officially coin it because our, we do like a lot of yellows and blues. This is going to be our yellow table talk. I'm, yeah. I'm, here, I'm here for that today. <laughs> and this is our first time hosting together. And I have heard just nothing but good things. So really excited um, to get into this conversation. Really, really excited about our guest today, Miss Gina Brown. Um, I am like, not even secretly, because I mention Miss Gina's name in a variety of spaces. Because every mm-hmm. time we are in a, a meeting together, or on a conference call, or a a webinar, like I am tuning in, she's making me smile. She is always dropping the gems. So I am absolutely right. Just she's the she's the mama of this work. Like that part, point blank. Like. Period. <laughs> Just oozing wisdom. Right. And it's just good to have people that you know that have your back in this work. Like, mm-hmm. no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. If you know Miss Gina Brown is there, like, it's somebody familiar in the room. And mm-hmm. if you need to be like, you know what? I don't like something that's being said. You know, she's going to come and have your back tenfold. Now, she might get with you afterwards and be like, not Justine. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that's your mama. She got your back. So, I love enjoy that. her. I love that. We definitely need, uh, we need that balance. People to support us and uh, get us together at the same time. Absolutely. With that being said, we're excited to welcome Miss Gina Brown, Director of Strategic Partnership and Community Engagement at SAC, the Southern AIDS Coalition. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. How are you today? One word to describe how you're feeling. Excited. Mm-hmm. Excited. Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, welcome. We are excited to um, to have you. I know you and Justine work together at SAC. And so I am merely um, just an eavesdropper today. <laughs> <laughs> to um to all of the great things that's going on and the great work that you're doing so before we kind of kick it off tell us about um tell us about you miss gina so i live in i live outside of new Orleans in a little um rural place called chalmette which Mm -hmm. is saint bernard parish you know louisiana has parishes instead Mm -hmm. of counties 
So that's where I live. I've been here for a little over two years. Um, I moved out here because I have two grandsons and they both were living in the city of New Orleans. And I really wanted them to see a different um, way of life, a slower way of life. Um, I have two kids, a son and a daughter. Um, I love them dearly, of course. I, um, I'm a social worker by training and an advocate by birth. Mm. My daddy was a Black Panther. Yes. So um, when I get a little militant, people say, I know why, um, that kind of thing. And I do this work. I started doing this work because there was a need for women to speak out and there wasn't anybody doing it. But I continue to do it because it feels really good to be able to help to mentor and develop young voices and have them take over, like Justine and other people who are doing amazing work in this space. I love that. And I love the fact that um, activism is literally in your DNA, because that's just that's that's what you just said, literally in my DNA. That is so that is so powerful. Tell us a little bit more about um, and you just mentioned a little bit, but we always ask, what is your why? Why are you um, in this work? What keeps you in this work? So I'm in this work because um, when I was diagnosed with um, living with HIV, there were three women working at my clinic. And I can remember the first time I went there, I was terrified because I, di- I didn't know what to expect. Um, I just delivered my daughter and I walk in and these three women, they rush me and they fight over my baby and they take me by my hand and they lead me to a seat and sit me down. And I can remember thinking, they are amazing. These women are everything because I didn't think people would accept me. You know, I didn't think that society was ready for a black woman living with HIV with a new baby. I didn't know all these things were possible. Um, And they gave me my first glimpse of what it meant to really take care of other people or care about other people. Fast forward a few years and I'm sitting in an HIV outpatient clinic and it was a Wednesday. I'll never forget this day as long as I live. And in New Orleans, last names are really, really um, unique. So if you hear a last name, you know the whole family, right? So um, they came to the door and they called this lady first and last name. And when they called her last name, every head in the room turned to her because we all knew her family. And I can remember the look on her face. And I remember thinking, if that was me, what, you know, how would I feel? And I went home and I called the clinic and I said, um, do you think y'all could call us by like our first name, last initial? You know, I said, because our providers know us. And um, I'm sure I wasn't the only person who called in. But the next time I went to the doctor, they called me Gina B. And I can remember how good that felt and how I thought about that woman and said, when she comes back, if she comes back, because we know it's things like that can keep us out of care, right? So if she comes back and she hears her first name, last initial, she'll know she's safe. Mm. And that was my first, like, advocacy for somebody else. And then- so that's my why. And that's so that's so powerful, something that we don't um, just often think about. Like you just said, like instances like that can literally keep people from engaging in in care, support, et cetera. I recently heard uh, I was recently in a meeting with you and heard you say um, 
that you are opening doors for other women living with HIV. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I employed the strategy years ago that every time I would get invited to a meeting, I would make sure another woman was in that meeting with me. Um, and then it got to where um, I had been through so many doors and those doors were open for me already that when I would get calls and say, hey, Gina, can you speak at such and such? And I would say, you know, I would love to do it, but I, I can't right now, but I have the perfect person. So uh, giving other women platforms and foundations to stand on, you know, um, it means so much to me to be able to help to um, develop the next generation of leaders, because, you know, in any good race, you can only run so far. That's why in relay races, nobody ain't trying to run around that whole track. (laughs) 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 At a certain point, they give us somebody the baton. Mm -hmm. That's HIV. We can't run around the whole track. And if we continue to try, we're going to burn ourselves out and we won't be any good for the community. So we have to develop other people. We have to open doors for other women. And I'm talking women across the board. You know, um, if I go into a room and I'm in that room and there are no trans women, my sisters are not in that room. I want to know why not. I want to know why is a table set? And you say you set, you're, you're, you're setting a table for women but not all women are at the table. And then I'm going to shame you. And so the next time we come in this room, it won't look like this again. You know, I've been in rooms where um, I would walk in and I'm the only black woman living with HIV in the room. And I'm like, all right, they were able to check that little box, but never again, Mm. never again, because it's meaningful involvement, you know, So I'm going to open doors. I'm going to put a chair on each side of me. I'm going to make sure that not only older women, but young women, you know, young women who voices we we rarely hear. Or when we hear them, we kind of dismiss them, you know. Oh, those the kids. Those the kids. They don't really know. They know. They know. And we need to listen to them, you know. (laughs) That's awesome. I just love that. Um, that's inspirational, I will say, because even I'm still fairly, fairly young to the field and new, but I understand that doors are opening for me now and that type of privilege that I have to be in certain spaces that people haven't yet made yet. So I know that I always have to bring somebody with me. So just thank you, honey. I watch. I watch things that y'all do. Um and the OGs in the game, I watch and just watch how y'all move. So thank you for that. But um, speaking of that, speaking of community, like what are the keys to successful community engagement? The biggest, the 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 thing that that all foundations have to be um, built on with community engagement is understanding that we are not the voice of the community; we are voice with the community. Right. So when I get out and I'm, I'm talking to people in community and because I work on the ground, I work with people living with I work with people impacted by HIV. So when I'm out talking with people, I'm not going to them as an expert. I'm going to them as a community member who try, who's trying to understand more. You know, so I, I want to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. So that is like one of the key things, being able to li- really hear what people are saying, you know, hearing their needs, not not projecting your needs on other people. 
that kind of thing. Um, when I think of community engagement, I also think of the fact that for some communities, um, no one has ever tried to engage them. So you have to go in and, and prove to them that you're a friend, you're an ally, and you're not coming to take any resources from them. You're coming to bring resources to them. And sometimes the resources may only be knowledge, but you're still bringing something in. You know, um, I, I love community. That I, When I was diagnosed in 94, I was working at, at a nursing home and I quit that job because I really didn't understand how HIV was transmitted, right? And I thought that I would give it to one of the old people. And I, I love elderly people, so I didn't want to do that. And I quit that job and I started working at a pharmacy, in the pharmacy, at a CVS. And um, doing that work, it still wasn't gratifying. It wasn't satisfying. It wasn't the thing that made me go home and be like, I cannot wait till tomorrow to go back to work. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> and then I became a peer advocate. And every day was a new day. And every day was an adventure. And every day was something that that taught me that this ain't about you, Jana. This is so much bigger than you. And that was so inspiring to me, you know, and I became a part of community and I learned how to engage with that community. But I always go in community as a guest, not as an expert. And that's one of the things we have to remember. Absolutely. Um, And so I, I really love your perspective on engaging community. But recently, we have been through so much as far as in these national crises. So hurricanes, COVID-19, you name it, it's all has just like been thrown at us. So how do we continue to engage community like amid these crises? To tell you the truth, Justine, we're going to have to go back out and rebuild community. We're mm-hmm. going to have to rebuild trust in our community. Because remember, we haven't really been out there since what? 29, the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. That was like 30 you know, years ago. I know. <laughs> I mean, forever. We've been in this panini forever. And we ain't never getting out of it. Don't feel like I know we will. But, you know, so we have to go back out and rebuild trust in community. We have to let community know that we're there for them, that we're not overlooking them, that we're talking about the things that really matter to them. Mm-hmm. You know, community is, is burnt down on COVID also. Right. You know, they want to talk about HIV again. They, they're concerned with housing. They're concerned with with um, minimum wage. They're concerned with health care. Mm-hmm. So we have to go back out. We have to rebuild the trust in the community and make sure that, that we give them grace and space to, you know, to come back to us in that way. When I go to the clinic, I barely see anybody I know. Because, you know, a lot of people aren't showing up on the same day. Some people have telehealth. So it's really, really hard. Um, And sorry about that, child. It's really hard. And um, we are really going to have to do a lot of work going back out in 22. But I know that we can do it, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been hearing kind of buzz in the community. Everybody is like, okay, we have done this virtual thing for almost two years now. Like, we are tired. We need to see people, touch people, smell people, break bread together. Um, so what is some advice when we do gather back together? How can we, you know, still acknowledge things that happen, um, COVID and weather, but um, still kind of get the work done? We, we're going to have to give people space to talk about that, right? So some people are going to come back into the space, into our spaces, um, really damaged behind us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, they've, they've been isolated for two years, that kind of thing. 
So we're going to have to give them space to talk about it. We're going to really have to um, adapt or adopt um, a um, BEAM philosophy. You know, BEAM has that, that healing the community, healing the Black community philosophy. We're going to have to um, really adopt that and think about how we can do it. So we know that that some people stopped taking their meds during COVID. Mm-hmm. Some people relapse during COVID. Mm-hmm. Instead of us being judgmental, we just go back to them and allow them to say, I want help or, or how can I get help? Or we can, how, how can I move through this? And But we have to have the knowledge and the resources to help them move through that, you know, through whatever. I can't wait till we get back together. I just tell people, if you're not vaccinated, and I'm not telling everybody to get vaccinated because I'm not a doctor, I would I would say talk to your doctor about it, talk to people you trust about it. Mm-hmm. But if you're not vaccinated, make sure that you're still wearing your mask, making mm-hmm. sure that, that we're still maintaining social distancing. You know, we can come back together and not get sick behind this. You know what? I I just I'm so uncomfortable with going places and not wearing my mask now. Like I don't even know. Like I feel so naked without it. So I'm like everywhere. That part. Get that on your mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, the right word. Naked without it. That's <laughs> just me, my mask, honey. I can just hide behind it. You know, <laughs> little anxiety I have. Just put on my mask. So. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think about like the Asian people I used to see on TV. And I would say, why are they wearing a mask? Ain't nothing going on. <laughs> and I said, well, that's going to be me. 20 years from now, y'all going to be like, wait a minute, she's still wearing a mask? Yeah. <laughs> and they match our outfits, too. <laughs> My kids going to be like, mom, what have you been through? Like, you just wearing it. You're the only one in here wearing a mask. Like, honey, it was 2020. And, uh... <laughs> We're sitting back telling them the story. Let me tell you, let me tell you about 2020. Once upon a time. <laughs> Once upon a time, the world shut down. Yes. <laughs> Literally, in terms of when we think about what uh, how we're ha- all having this collective experience, right? Like we are all. There's literally nobody on this planet that doesn't know about COVID, that's not impacted in some way, that isn't responding in some way and dealing with. And that is, um, that's that's really unique to say for us to kind of be experiencing this together. Um, But I definitely, just like you said, Machina, like I look forward to coming back together and seeing people and um, I'm a hugger. I want to, you know, as long as people allow, I want to hug some folks. <laughs> I don't want to elbow bump you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And I need to see Gina because we had um, our Southern <laughs> HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. And mm. I started working at SAC during the pandemic. So I've never met anyone in person and I remember like walking downstairs really really nervous and she came with like the best gifts like candles and like scents and stuff so I'm like I'm excited to see her again and see what type of goodies <laughs> <laughs> she has for me <laughs> I I remember and this kind of leads us to to kind of our next segue which is perfect Justine because um Again, I am in conferences and webinars with Gina, and it's just all kind of wisdom. But you recently, uh, we were in a session about self care, and you mentioned, um, and you mentioned the candles <laughs> uh, as as a way of. And so, when we talk about um, 
when we talk about this HIV work or co- or community activism or being an advocate or um, any type of helping profession, right, where we are helping and serving, we speak about self-care quite a bit um, and the importance of it. And I don't even think that we can really stress that enough because we are just um, giving of ourselves and giving of ourselves. So what does... Um, what does self-care look like for you? Is there anything different and unconventional that you would recommend as well to folks as a ways to take care of themselves? Go to sleep early. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. <laughs> Shut that down at 815. <laughs> <laughs> let me take a let me take a note right now. So <laughs> I'm normally sleep by like 7, 7:30, but I get up at three o'clock in the morning, right? So I like to get up when everybody else is asleep because it gives me time to meditate. Mm. It gives me time to get grounded. Mm. And it also gives me time to get some work done. So I'll get a lot of emails written and I'll schedule them to go out at eight o'clock because I don't want people getting an email from me at three 30 in the morning. <laughs> and next time they see me, they're rolling their eyes at me. <laughs> you know, so, um, so I, I would suggest if you can getting in bed early. Something else that I've started doing is um, doing a no social weekend. So um, no social media, no Google, no anything on the weekend that's going to take me out of the the mindset of resting. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't rest. Mm. We feel guilty when we take a break. You know, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to rest. I don't care if the nap is only 15 minutes. I'm going to do what I need to do for me. And I'll suggest everybody do that, especially in the health profession, mm-hmm. because it's so easy to burn out. You know, um, drink water, drink, drink your water, you yes. know, water your, your inside and then go outside and get some fresh air. Mm-hmm. You know, um, self-care is a daily practice. And I used to use it as an emergency practice, Right. So was tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that shift because that's true. real. That yes, is very real. it was after you know all of everything would happen, and I would be so stressed out. And then I would say, "Light a candle, take a bubble bath." <laughs> and yes, it felt really, really good, and the scent smelled really, really good, and it lasted for twenty four hours. Not sometimes, not even twenty four hours, because sometimes as soon as you get out the tub, something else will happen, mm-hmm. and then you're in that that mindset again. So what I had to learn was in order for me to be well, in order for me to help people, I had to help me. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I started really paying attention or, or listening to that message on the plane. You know, put your oxygen mask on first Have to before you try to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I started doing that. And that's what self-care is to me. You know, yes, candles smell good. And I love giving candles because I know people like, to, you know, it's make their house smell and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there are so many things we need to do daily. You know, did y'all know that that um, cooking and, and eating together is healing? Uh, mm. I think that's one thing I will say. That's one thing about the pandemic. Um, last year I was cooking more and this year too, but like in the very beginning when I was like, why am not going outside? I, (laughs) I cooked more meals. I was baking things I had never done before. Um, but sitting down with my family and, and enjoying that time, very therapeutic, 
life changing in a way I wasn't expecting. Yep. Yeah. Right. 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 And I had to learn that. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, we didn't sit at the table all together and eat dinner. You you ate whenever you came inside, fixed your plate, sat in front of the TV. Really? <laughs> Some somebody else stood at the at the um at the table, didn't sit at the table, stood there and ate and talked to somebody else. So it was never, it was always chaos and confusion. It was never a calming sit down, let's eat. Because when you're calm and you're sitting and you're eating together. My daughter taught me this. She's so she's brilliant because I'm her mama. But anyway, the DNA we've already (laughs) talked about it. (laughs) But um, allowing your food to digest correctly, yeah, you know. And a lot of times we don't. Mm -hmm. You know, we eat on the fly. We eat in the car. We eat on. You know, we're in a rush. We got to hurry up and get it down. We don't chew enough. All of these things, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of that is a part of my self care now. Making sure that that I'm preparing meals, making sure that I'm talking to my family, making sure that we come out of our rooms and just come in the dining room sometime and just sit. I remember being a little girl, my grandmother, all her business happened at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Everything. When the mm-hmm. insurance man came to collect, he sat at the kitchen table and she paid him. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but everything happened at that table. And I remember when I think back on it now, how warm that used to feel. She always kept biscuits on the table so you could come through and get a biscuit. Mm-hmm. You know, she kept a pot of coffee on the stove. My grandmother was an old Southern woman, so it was that hospitality. We have to get back to that. Mm-hmm. And a part of my self-care is getting back to that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was about to say that is so southern. Like that's what I remember. <laughs> just everything was just done at the kitchen table. Like I don't even know if her grandma ever got up. She was just in the kitchen all day, <laughs> cooking something, warming something over, greeting folks on the phone. Like that's just so southern. But go ahead. <laughs> yes. I I love it. It's it's um it's culture and heritage and roots. It's all of those things. So when you talk about, because you've been in this work a long time, <clears throat> yes, ma'am, <laughs> even before you were in it, you were in it. See? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so how do you, and we, we hear a lot about burnout um, because it can, it can be a lot, right? So how, and yes, self-care, but what are some of those kind of concrete tips you give folks to prevent burnout or uh, even to flip it for um, folks who are coming into this work new, you know, what would you, what would you say to them? Things to look for, um, when burnout is, is coming. Well, I'll tell you the way that, um, you can help burnout get here is by thinking when you're working with people that you know, what's best for them, mm-hmm. because now you're starting to live your life and their life. And you don't really have room for all that, right? You only have room for your life. And when you try to do that, burnout is right around the corner. Um, Some of the things you need to look for when when it comes to burnout is dreading going to work. Do you get up in the morning and say, Lord, I I wish the place just float away. I don't even want to go in there. (laughs) You know, um, do you get up in the morning and and as soon as you think about your clients, you get angry? Mm. You know, um, do you cry? I when I I remember when I was a case manager and I was going through burnout, I used to cry every day. I cried every day. I would go to my coworker Jacob's office 
I would sit there and cry. Shout out to Jacob. <laughs> I would sit there and cry. And he would say, kid, and he was a lot younger than me. Mm-hmm. He would say, kid, I would just, what I would suggest you do is take a deep breath. Try to stay calm. Try not to work with too many people in a day. And I was like, that, in theory, that makes sense. But when you're the homeless case manager, you don't have an an option of of saying I'm not going to see so and so today yeah. because sometimes it's, it's life or death death mm-hmm. with them you know so you have to see them. Um, so what I had to learn is do was stop taking people home with me mm-hmm. because see I would take my whole case caseload home with me at night mm-hmm. and I was just over what I had to do for them the next day and I probably was worrying about things and they were at home sleep mm-hmm. and enjoying their life. <laughs> that part. Mm-hmm. Gina, I was the one up at 11 and 12 o'clock at night trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. No. Mm-hmm. So you 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 really you have to, I'm not saying make it a nine to five because it is more than a nine to five. Sometimes you are going to worry about people, mm-hmm. but don't make that a practice. Mm-hmm. Don't make, um, and, and, and coming into this thing, this used to burn me up when I would hear the new case manager say, but I want I want more for them than they want for them for themselves. <laughs> and I would say, now which one of y'all the fool? <laughs> That's when you just say, bless your heart. <laughs> you cannot want for a person more than they want for themselves. Mm-hmm. You have to want for them exactly what they want for themselves. Mm. You know, I being a social worker, I don't meet people where I want them to be. I meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you in the mud, I'm gonna get in the mud with you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you on top of a hill, I'm gonna get on top of that hill with you. I'm gonna do what I need to do and and get with with you so that that we're equal. Not that that that's another thing. I I'll, I'll tell y'all a quick story. I had a client come in once. She was really really sick, and I had the worst carpet in the world in my office. I used to tell people when I go home, I want to take my shoes off and burn them. My carpet. <laughs> My carpet at work is so nasty. <laughs> I try to clean it. It didn't do any good. And this woman was so sick. She laid on my floor mm. and I was at my desk and I looked down at her and I said, if I was on the floor, would I want someone looking down on me? Hmm. So you know what I did? I got on that nasty floor with her and I did her intake from the floor with her because I wanted us to be on equal ground. I didn't want one of us to be higher than the other. This ain't about um, classism or anything like that. This is about getting something done. And we are partners in this work, you know. Um, and she thanked me for it after. And I said, girl, I, w- I said, when you first got down there, I looked at you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, as I said, I know she see how nasty that for <laughs> She said, but you got down there with me. I said, I did. Um, I think that's what it's about. You know, we do this work together. I don't do it for you. I do it with you. Mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know what? I first got introduced to this work through like social work and case management and going through school. You know, they teach you the textbook stuff and, you know, all these theories and approaches and honey, when I got into it, like for the first three weeks, I was crying because I was like, I, I, 
y'all say put these people here and they homeless and y'all got me going down here, but it's like nowhere for nobody to go. I'm homeless, hair falling out. Um, and now I realize it's like, I can't do nothing more for you than, um, what you want to do for yourself. But what I can do is always be here. So, you know, you can call me. We might fuss, cuss each other out, do all of these things. But, you know, when you get get into a jam, you know who's pulling up to your ghetto and pulling up to <laughs> this place and going to the hospital and running down the hall screaming at the nurses. You know that I'm coming for you and I got your back. I'm going to be a little mad with you because you got me up out my bed. But, you know, and, it, and it's so important, especially within the South when we're doing this work, especially from a little country girl like myself, where we don't really have any resources and nobody even knows what we're talking about when we're talking about HIV. So thinking about that, what do you love about the South, Gina? Oh my goodness. I love so much about the South. I love the hospitality. Mm-hmm. I love the friendliness. In the mm-hmm. South, people will speak. People will speak to a dog if the dog will speak back. <laughs> I love that. Um I love the camaraderie. I love the fact, especially like here in New Orleans, right? Black, white, Latinx, Native American, whatever. The, we all come together around the saints. Mm-hmm. If it's something you want, <laughs> we come together around those saints and we don't care <laughs> what anybody say. You well, know, you know I'm in Atlanta it. right now, so we're going through it with the Falcons. But yes, y'all are. <laughs> Keep us uplifted. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, um, I, I love the I love the food in the South. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, the food in the South is better than anywhere. I'm sorry, y'all. It is. It is. <laughs> and I ain't just talking about in New Orleans. You know, go to Memphis, Birmingham. I go to Black Market in Birmingham. They had the best queso in the world. Yes, I gave y'all a shout out because I believe in queso. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I love the food. I love the people. I love the culture. You know, people think that we in the South are slow because our draw may be a little slower. Mm-hmm. Our walk may be a little slower. We're not slow. We just learn how to appreciate a day. We know that when we when we wake up in the morning, it's a blessing to have this day and we know how to appreciate it. You know, I think about people like in New York who never take the time to smell the roses Mm-hmm. You know, they're constantly moving. They're constantly doing stuff. I went to New York and I swear I was on Canal Street and I didn't even have to walk. There were so many people that were like carrying me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I've never, <laughs> I've never experienced this in my life. <laughs> but nobody speak to each other. Mm-mm. And that's how we look at each other. Even if you don't speak, you smile. You acknowledge mm-hmm. the next person, you know. Yes, yes. So the South is, is, is different. The South is, and I understand that the South was home of the enslaved. I understand all of the atrocities that happened in the South, but the South was also home of some brilliant people. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer, um, Martin Luther King, um, Coretta Scott. You know, all of these amazing people came out of the South. Justine Ingram oh, hello. was doing amazing work in the community <laughs> and all out, you know, all of our communities helping to raise awareness. Um, Tori Cooper, you know, I think of a Tori Cooper who, who that's my sister. You know, mm-hmm. um, we came from two different mamas, but it feel like we share a heartbeat. That is my sister. You know, I think of 
all of these amazing people, I think of all of these amazing movements that came from the South, you know, when, um, when they had the Panthers on the West coast and the South, they had beacons for defense, you know, it was a group of churchmen mm-hmm. who got out and they patrolled Louisiana highways to make sure people made it safely to and from, you know, um, there was, it's so much history in the South. You could, you could never, I probably could live a hundred years and not touch on half of the history in the South, you know? So yes, I love the South. <laughs> Me too, Tina. So what do you want to see for the South? Um, what do you envision for the South? So I envision a South where, where people have health care, credible health care. You know, um, we're not relying on ADAP. We have real health care. A South where we go to college and we come back and we work in our communities. Mm-hmm. Because right now, a lot of us, we leave and we leave. Right. We don't come back. Um, but to come back, to bring that knowledge back into the community, to bring we have to start lead. I want to see a South where black people are leading by example. What I mean by that is we do greatness, but we do greatness in front of our children and grandchildren in our community. We don't have to go to New York or California to do greatness. We can do greatness in Atlanta. We can be great in New Orleans. We can be great in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, um, I envision a South where um, we really, really, really not. And, and I will say in, eventually end HIV, but really get people with, to a point where they understand that HIV is a health condition. It's not a behavioral condition. And we have to start talking about it as healthcare, right? And, and in a healthcare setting, in a healthcare way, and not about behavior. The more we talk about behavior, the more we're going to run people away from us. We have to bring people to us. I envision a South where we all are, um, we, we, we have health literacy. Health literacy is a real thing. And you know what else I envision for the South? I envision a South where, where neighborhood gardens, vegetable gardens, Community gardens are a thing, a real thing, mm-hmm. you know, in every community. So nobody is saying there are no fr- uh, fresh fruits and vegetables in my community because now we have gardens. And just make sure some collard greens out there and I'll be all right. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and I, I will watch them all. Look, I will get up at three o'clock in the morning and watch and make sure nothing don't come and eat them. <laughs> I, love, I love that. <laughs> yes, I do. I envision a South that that's sustainable, that's not relying on government, that we're we're back almost to the barter, barter system, right? So you have some eggs, Bianca. You have some milk, Justine. And you know what? I have some flour over here and we gonna all get together. We're going to make some cornbread. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to all eat <laughs> because nobody in the South should be going hungry. Absolutely. Nobody in America, really, but I'm I'm focused on the South. (laughs) (laughs) Southern steep. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So um, how can uh, the folks who are listening, because you have dropped a lot of gems, advice, knowledge, tools, how can folks get in touch with you and your programs? Yes. So I am at the Southern AIDS Coalition at Gina at Southern AIDS, S-O-U-T-H-E-R-N-A-I-D-S-C-O-A-L-I-T-I-O-N dot O-R-G. And my phone number, 
you know, I should know the work number. I'll be, y'all, I've been working at SAG forever, but no, I've never nobody, called a number. I was going to say, nobody knows the numbers anyway. Yes, but I can give you my cell number because I do answer my cell. Um, I answer calls from numbers I don't know also. So I'm not one of those people that see <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I don't know oh, if you no, want, I don't know them. I was gonna say I don't know if you want to put the cell on here because then everybody's gonna be calling. So email oh, well, might yes. be yeah, my email you know, might be okay. Yeah, <laughs> they ha- can't have the girls calling me. My girlfriend <laughs> might get mad. <laughs> <laughs> like, who is that? <laughs> I don't know. We're trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> but you can email me. And mm-hmm. if you email me and give me your number, I will be sure to call you back. And we can discuss all of these things. Um, and can I quickly tell you about my programs? Please. Absolutely. So yes. I do two trainings. One is called Lead Academy. Mm-hmm. Lead stands for Leadership, Education, and Advocacy Development. Mm-hmm. It is truly a MEPA inspired. So MEPA is Meaningful Involvement of People Living with HIV and AIDS. Um, Lead was created by myself and some other people um, early on at SAC who live openly living with HIV. And we um, implemented in communities of people living with HIV, right? Lead is an eight-week um, course. It is really, really, this is the third iteration. So we have a new lead coming up that is really hands-on. So it's more of a um, train-to-trainer model. So people will get these um modules, learn it, and then go back into the community and be able to give back to the community, um, to people impacted. And then we do Unity Workshop. Unity Workshop is a six-week workshop that is truly a stigma-reducing workshop. We use um, triggering, I call them triggering videos. So they're videos with scenarios. One scenario is um, a date night, right? This girl and this guy, they go on a date, they're about to get busy. She go in the bathroom to clean up, freshen up. And she sees her medicine and it hits her that she has to go back out here and tell this guy. And it never goes to the end of the story. It always fades to black. And then we have discussions about it. Really, really deep discussions. I love both of those trainings so much um, because it allows us an opportunity to connect with community. And sometimes with people in community who nobody has ever connected with. Um, my leader, we, when they graduate, we call them Southern leaders. And we've had people, um, our Southern leaders, who have gone from walking in a room for the very first time to presenting at conferences. So, yes. I love that. I love that you are literally too. making in and, and paving the way and encouraging folks to, um, as we mentioned earlier, pick up the baton. <laughs> yes. need to run this race. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, I was going to say something profound, but I lost it because I have nothing else to say, but thank you. (laughs) See how that happened? (laughs) I had a thought and I was like, no, (laughs) just thank you. I I don't think, um, I always say that I'm going to try to find some words bigger, but thank you for sharing your, your wisdom and your journey with us today. Um, and just information. I wrote down uh, that you're in community as a guest, not an expert. And I think that that is powerful. That, um, and I will never forget you sitting on that filthy floor in that carpet. <laughs> that, that is, that's real. That's connection. Thank you for your amazing work. Thank you for literally being a professional superhero. Thank you. Yeah. 
And you know, I just love you anyway. So you know, I love you, pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Machina, have a wonderful day, and we appreciate you coming on. All right, thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. My heart is so warm. Ain't she the bomb? Do we still use that word? Do we? We're going to today. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to today i'm i'm telling you anytime any space that i am in with miss brown is like just magic i just be sitting there like what's she gonna say next (laughs) and just (laughs) writing it down because she is um yeah she is a force i appreciate it For this episode's edition of Southern Charm, we're highlighting Acadiana Cares located in Lafayette, Louisiana. Acadiana Cares is a client-centered organization dedicated to empowering vulnerable communities affected by HIV-AIDS, inequities in healthcare, homelessness, and substance use issues to change their lives by embracing a holistic approach to a healthy and self-determined life. Their objectives are to increase use of regional services for those living with HIV-AIDS, improve the quality of life for those living with HIV-AIDS, develop and expand relationships with other agencies, promote behavioral change in high-risk populations, and address the myriad of issues that contribute to the HIV epidemic, such as poverty, unstable housing, substance abuse, and mental illness. To learn more about Acadiana Cares, visit their website at www.acadiana, and that's A-C-A-D-I-A-N-A, cares.org. We did it. We made it. Yes, we did. Awesome episode. (laughs) Just, I cannot wait to host many more with you. You are just a natural. I love it. Come on, Yellow Table Talk. Yellow Table Talk. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. On that note, I am Bianca Ward. And I am Justine Ingram. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.